announcements, if you'll grab your bulletins this morning, we want to highlight a few things. Uh, a lot of things going on this week. Thursday night at uh, 7 o'clock, there's a planning meeting for VBS, so if you're interested in being part of that, it'd be great if you could uh, come to that. Then on Saturday uh, is the first of two membership classes that we're, we're offering. You only need to come to one of the two, so it's whichever one fits into your schedule better. Um, we'll be here both days. It, it's, not a, uh, it's not like we're going to cancel one. I'll be here um, 8.30 Saturday morning, so if you're interested in that membership class, this Saturday is the first of those. If you can't make it this Saturday, then you could plan on being here on March 1st. Uh, but we're going to offer that class both times. And really, if you're not sure if you want to be a member, if you just want to know a little more about Brown Corners Church and the United Brethren denomination, uh, you can come to those classes. Uh, coming to the class doesn't uh, make you a member. You actually have to sign a, a covenant document uh, before you're a member. So um, in blood, by the way. Um, so, uh, so if you're interested in UB Church or uh, uh, just becoming a member, um, mark down one of those two days. And then uh, next Sunday, we're going to have a special time during our Sunday school hour to, uh, to thank Dave and Cindy for their service uh, as interim pastor of our church and to officially welcome our new pastor, um, Pastor Jeremiah. And so you want to make sure you uh, stick around for Sunday school, uh, the Sunday school hour next week. We still will have children's Sunday school classes so your kids um, can welcome and thank the pastors at another time. <laughs> And then um, two Saturdays from now, uh, February 22nd, we have a, an all-church leadership conference. So if you're interested in being part of, of that, there's already a sign-up out in the, uh, the foyer area. Uh, you can um, sign your name to that. That's a 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. leadership uh, conference. Other stuff you can check out in your bulletin. I, I did want to give a, a little bit of a, of a highlight for, um, for the trip that I had just taken to Nicaragua. Uh, what a great experience. Uh, many of you know I, I left on uh, January the 8th and uh, was flying down to Nicaragua. The very first day, it, it, was, a, it was a terrible day because I was delayed getting out of Detroit, and I ended up having to spend nine hours in Houston, and uh, that wasn't much fun. But oftentimes when trips start out poorly like that, it, it sets you up for some great things to come. And so I, I always, when, when bad things happen or discouraging things happen, I always think, um, okay, this is kind of the, the storm before the, the awesome is kind of the way I, I look at it. And so uh, the, the Huntington University group arrived uh, later that evening. They're, I was supposed to get there 12 hours earlier than them to do some stuff, but it didn't, didn't happen. Um, we had some great clinics with young people with uh, soccer and baseball. Uh, we had some games scheduled against some pretty good competition, both soccer and baseball, and, and the week went great. We had it's just some awesome devotional times with these, these young men from Huntington University. And then uh, we knew we were headed to the beach on our final day. And so we, we offered um, if some guys wanted to be baptized at the beach, you know, we, we would do a Nicaraguan baptism. And what that means is we, you circle, everybody gets in the water, you circle them, and the people getting baptized get dunked in the middle. And uh, it's the first time I'd ever done this at the ocean, a little, little different when waves are crashing in. And I actually have a little video we're going to show in a second, but the two guys came forward and said, yeah, they'd like to be baptized. So we're excited. You know, we're, we're all pretty pumped. And uh, Saturday rolled around. We got to the beach and we ended up baptizing 12 young men, 
two of whom uh, accepted Christ for the first time uh, right there on the beach. So you want to roll that that uh, that video because it's it's kind of cool to see. It, 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 was, it was a real baptism. I mean, you got dunked. And um, interestingly enough, the time of day we were doing it, the waves were small. Uh, the waves were about 10-foot waves later on, which made body surfing a lot more fun. Uh, that young man that, that was baptized there, Joey, he, he had become a Christian uh, right there on the beach and, and wanted to be baptized. So that, that was an awesome moment for us. Uh, the, the Brown Corners group got there in time to go to the beach with us. They kind of had their day of relaxation at the beginning of the trip, and uh, they got to share uh, in, that, in that cool experience. So, so the HU group leaves, and, uh, and our group... Uh, it's here, there, and our project begins, and we begin doing a, a lot of really fun uh, things at the job site. Uh, cement work begun, and uh, we ended up concreting over 2,500 square feet of cement. Uh, we uh, had plumbing to do, a lot of plumbing to correct, and uh, Dan Zemko went with us. He's a, he's a plumber, and he uh, kind of headed that aspect up. We, we pretty much uh, did plumbing throughout the building. Uh, Electrical, we did electrical service from the, the street to the building and then installed a panel and then ran all, pretty much uh, about 80% of all the electrical wiring in the building. And then, uh, but, but early in the week on Monday, uh, there were some guys hanging out, some pastors, and I said, hey, well, let's just take them out to eat. We'll just go down to the plaza. That plaza has since been renamed Parasite Plaza. Uh, we, uh, we had some food there and, uh, it's usually, it smells really good. You drive by it every day and it's like, man, it smells awesome. So we, we stopped and, and we got some food and the next day, uh, Bryce Carter began to feel pretty ill. And then by Tuesday evening, uh, Stacy Dysinger was not feeling well. By Wednesday, uh, Lauren Cole wasn't feeling well. Scott Carter wasn't feeling well. And we were like, ah, it's just, you know, it's just. Montezuma's Revenge, you know, thing you get. No, it was, was more than that. And uh, eventually we took uh, Stacy and Bryce to a doctor, and they got IVs and fluids, and they felt better. And then the next day they didn't feel better. And then Friday we, we took them to a, a more serious clinic and had some blood tests done and found that they had parasites. And they discovered in the case of, of Stacy that his appendix was about... 60% uh, bigger than it was supposed to be at the maximum. And so they said, you have two choices. You get on a plane right now and get back to the States, or you go to the hospital here in Nicaragua. I said, Stacy, yeah, we can do it here. Don't worry about it. I said, man, I had a you know, heart issue here. The hospital's great here. And he's like, really? I said, yeah, I think you're fine. So so we uh, we got to the um, uh, hospital, and, and uh, Stacy left a part of himself in Nicaragua. He he can actually say that uh, everything went well. They did a laparoscopic technique. It just took a little over an hour, and uh, he was out the next day and could fly home with the rest of us. But the the awesome thing is through through all of that that sickness and and you might consider oppression. And and I'm not a devil lives behind the rock. You know, devil. And there's a devil behind everything. But but certainly when great things happen, there is a a a spirit of oppression that can come uh, because. When uh, victories are, are about to be had, I think that Satan doesn't enjoy that. And so uh, whether it be your flight schedules or 
things not going the way you had hoped or sicknesses or whatever, um, it really, as I reflect back on, on the trip, um, those things pale in comparison to the victories that happened, both in the work that was completed project-wise and the, the work that was done in, in individuals' lives. And uh, I'm, I'm just excited that, uh, uh, that Brown Corners is a church that is interested in, in global missions and, and uh, is excited to be part of that. We have another 30-second clip. Do you guys want to roll that one? Just to give you an idea of, of, uh, of the project, uh, this is uh, kind of a, the outdoor part of the project. Um, there's Lauren running some electricity. It's a fairly large facility that we uh, have been investing in for the past couple years, and a uh, few of the rooms are, are nearing completion, and uh, beds are starting to, be, to roll in. We have a local pastor who makes all of the furniture, and uh, there's a, a bunk bed. Uh, Scott Sells said uh, he would like to actually have one of those bunk beds shipped back here. Uh, they're very nice and very good quality. There's the whole group except for Stacy. He was taking the picture. So we really appreciate uh, all your prayers and support, and, and it was truly a, a wonderful experience. Uh, the only bad part was stepping out of the airplane back in Detroit. That was, that was the worst part of the, the whole experience. So thank you so much. Uh, it's my, my privilege to uh, welcome for the first time officially uh, a birthday boy. Today is his not only his first day preaching as pastor of our church, but it's also his birthday. So as he comes, can we just sing happy birthday? Happy birthday to you. With, uh, with friends like Jeff. <laughs> it's great to be here. Um, I want to let you in on a little pastoral secret. It's not really a secret. Everybody, all of you, if you've heard more than a couple of sermons in your life, you know this. But uh, every pastor in his time preaches a few duds. And uh, I got to thinking, what am I going to preach on my first Sunday with you as your pastor? I got to thinking, man, I don't want to be this to be one of those Sundays I preach a dud. You know, I'm my first time out here. So I got to thinking, what could I share? What would, what would really encourage and challenge and bless? And so uh, I've got an Andy Stanley DVD I want to show you. <laughs> Join me in your Bibles in Psalm 19, if you would. The Lord laid this passage on my heart several weeks ago. As, as I was praying about this week. I believe with all my heart that this book, the Bible, is divinely inspired. It is the authoritative word of God, and it's been given to us without error. It is not the, the writings of uh, inspirational authors or uh, a collection of uh, dubious stories, but it is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And I commit to you as your pastor to preach to you this book, that when I get the opportunity to stand before you and, and speak, it will not be cultural or social commentary, it will not be a collection of witty stories, it will not be my own ideas about life, but my desire and my heart is to proclaim this book to you because I, I believe that God has spoken. And I believe that this 
that our attitude should be the, the same as the, as the psalmist in these verses we're going to read together here. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul commanded pastors everywhere to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I believe that is the job that God has given me. And as we prepare to study God's word together, I hope that you've brought your Bibles along, whatever form that is, be it a, a smartphone or a tablet or, or the good old-fashioned paper copies, because um, this is going to be our textbook. This will be uh, what we study from. And I, I appreciate that so much about this church, because you have a heart for God's Word. This, God's Word is proclaimed in Sunday schools and small groups and from the pulpit. And I want to continue that important and crucial tradition, because it's, it's God's desire for His church. And so if you will read with me in, in Psalm chapter 19, we're going to read verses 7 through 11. And this is what David writes. He says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. Fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. There is great reward in keeping them. This is a beautiful passage, a beautiful picture of Hebrew poetry. And David, as he writes this, he's, he's using several different synonyms to refer to the Word of God. Whatever your translation may translate a little bit differently, but he talks about the instruction of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the command of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord. As he's talking about these different terms, he's talking about God's Word. Now, obviously, he didn't have it as we do today in all 66 books. He had the law, he had the law of Moses and what had been written up to that point. But irregardless, he had God's word and what part of God's word he did have, he loved. And I just want to make five observations this morning as we, as we look at this passage and just think about the beauty of God's word. First of all, and I tried... Listen, some pastors have a gift of doing the acrostics and, and doing all the same letters of the, the, the points matching up. I try. Every now and then I'll hit the mark. And I came up with a couple of P's, but there's an R in here. So if, for those of you who are OCD, I apologize in advance for doing that to you. It's probably going to be the only thing you remember this morning. But uh, number one is the reliability of God's word. The reliability of God's word. Look at the, look at the terms that David uses in here. He says, in verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. And in verse 9, he says, the ordinances of the Lord are reliable. They're reliable. They can be counted on. Because God's word points back to the source, God himself. And he is an infinitely reliable God. As I was thinking about this week, there, there are two factors, I think, that make somebody trustworthy. That is their, their uh, overall character and their track record. 
If you've got a shady person or someone who has a history of being dishonest, you're going to be less likely to trust them. But that is not the, that is not the case with God. He is 100% completely and totally trustworthy. You can complete, when God says something, you can completely trust him. He has never, ever, ever told a lie of any kind. He has never been deceitful. He has never been misleading. He has never reneged on a promise. And he's never had his fingers crossed. God's promises are trustworthy because it goes back to God's very character. I just want to read you a couple familiar promises that you can believe this morning. God's word says that if we come to him weary and heavy laden, he'll give us rest. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He promises that he will supply all of our needs. Philippians 4, 19. He promises nothing will ever separate us from his love. Romans 8, 37 through 39. He promises that he will never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5. He promises in, in Romans 10, 9 that if, if we confess with our mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. In John 14, 3, he promises his son will return for all those who have trusted in him. These are God's promises and they can be believed and trusted in because they come from an infinitely trustworthy source. Psalm 111.7 says, The works of his hands are truth and justice. All of his instructions are trustworthy. We have a God who can believe. God's word is reliable. The, the second thing I want you to see from this text is the purpose of God's word. The purpose of God's word. And I, I kind of wrote down two things that jumped out at me. Um, first of all, God's word rejuvenates. God's word rejuvenates. In verses 7 and 8, it says, uh, and I want you to kind of catch some of these terms here. He says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. It renews one's life. In verse 8, he says, uh, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. And the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. I like that phrase. God's word makes our eyes light up. It enlightens the eyes. God's word breathes new life into us. Have you ever felt spiritually dry? Have you ever been in that place in your life where you just open up God's word and nothing's happening? You go to church and all you can think about is the, the game after the church and you just, you're kind of going through the motions, but there's, there's nothing there. I, I think that probably most of us have experienced times like that in our walk with the Lord. I, it's, it's not all that uncommon. But these verses tell us that God's word can reignite that, can, can rekindle that, can add the spark back in our life. God's word can be a little bit like caffeine for the soul. God's word brings a breath of fresh air to a stale heart. God's word's a little bit like spiritual CPR. It can, it can restore life when things have grown a bit stale. I don't know about you, but I, 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 I like to have some coffee in the morning. And things go a whole lot better, just all around, if, if I have that cup of coffee to start off with. I remember 
being, uh, having the flu uh, about a month or two ago, and uh, my wife came in to check on me later in the day, and um, she said, she said, how are you feeling? Are you, are you feeling a little bit better? And I said, I have a splitting headache. And she said, really? It's not just your stomach that's bothering you. And I said, I know exactly what it is. I haven't been able to drink coffee today. It's, it's just all around better, and, and it, and it kind of can reinvigorate us. I don't know if you remember, there's a, there's a passage in, in Scripture where Saul and his armies have been fighting and fighting and fighting, and they're just exhausted. And um, he, had, he had commanded his men not to eat that day. And I don't know if you remember, but Jonathan, his son, hadn't gotten word of that command. And so as they're walking through a forest, he spies some honey. And he ate some. And the phrase I think it used in there, he said, it, it made my eyes light up. It just it gave me some life. I got to eat. Um, God's word does that to us spiritually. It can breathe new life into us. The second thing that uh, he says uh, here, the second purpose of God's word is that it gives wisdom. It gives wisdom. Verse 7 says, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. It makes the inexperienced wise. I love this because there are a lot of things that I don't know how to do. Um, when When I am around home and something needs to be fixed, my wife will often point it out to me, but also she'll be quick to add, who do you think you could get to help you with that? <laughs> because she knows, and if I'm, I'm, I'm in a humble spirit, I'll admit what she already knows, is that I probably will not fix it well. I will probably cobble it together or ignore it as long as possible because I, I don't have the resources in and of myself to fix it. I have to call somebody with the wisdom and the, the skill set to take care of the problem, to help make whatever isn't working, work. God says, listen, and, and, and this may, may hurt some of your pride this morning. I'm not going to apologize for that because I believe it's God's word. But he says, listen, you don't have what it takes to figure life out on your own. You cannot get through life without wisdom. You need God's wisdom for living. You and I both have to come to him daily and ask him for it. And I, want to, I just want to challenge you with this. If, if wisdom is not on your prayer list, if, if asking God for wisdom is not a regular part of, of your life and your walk with God, I just want to lay out there this morning that you probably have a problem with pride. You probably, whether you would, would admit it verbally or not, think, I'm okay I've got it. Everything's humming along just fine in my life. I'm just dandy here. Now, we don't say those things because we all know those aren't spiritual things to say. But maybe inwardly we're thinking it. I want to tell you, if, if that's what you're thinking, you're wrong. God says we need wisdom every day. Um, if you've got kids, you probably are not even, even tempted to stop asking for wisdom. If you've got grandkids, if you've got adult kids, you probably are never tempted to stop asking for wisdom. Um, We need wisdom to know how to interact with our spouses and how to love them. God tells men to dwell with their wives according to knowledge. If that is not a 
a, a cry for asking God for wisdom. I do not know what it is because I've, I've been married for almost 14 years now and dwelling with my wife according to knowledge. Sometimes I'll just look at her and I'll say, honey, I have no idea what to do right now. I have no idea what to say. I should know that by now, but I have no idea what to do. I need God's wisdom for marriage. I need God's wisdom for parenting. I need God's wisdom in ministry, not just as your pastor, but just as your brother in Christ, knowing how to interact and love with you, love you faithfully. God says that his word is able to make the inexperienced wise. And we need to come to him believing that he will give us that. And, and, and you all know James 1. He said, come and ask for wisdom. Don't doubt. Don't be like the waves of the sea tossed about. Uh, but come to me believing that I'll give it. One of my professors in, in Bible college who'd been a, a missionary in Papua New Guinea, he says that, uh, he said that when you get involved in ministry, there will be times in your life where God will put on you the weight of your not-enoughness. That all of your training, your education, your experience, your natural skills and abilities, you will eventually, God will put you in a place where you come to the end of that. Where you throw up your hands and say, God, I, I don't have it figured out. I can't do it. And so why not, why not before that happens, say, God, I'm going to need your wisdom today. I'm going to need your wisdom and turn to his word because that's where it is. Number three, this passage talks about the preciousness of God's word. The preciousness of God's word. He says in verse 10, he says, They are more desirable than gold, than the abundance of pure gold, sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. David absolutely treasured God's word. This was not another book. This was not a hobby. This was not simply, some, simply something he turned to when he had a few extra moments when he, was, when he hung up the crown and was off duty or whatever. This was, this was his source of, of wisdom, and it was his, his source of connectedness with God. This is how he knew God and interacted with God. And he, it was absolutely priceless to him. He said, it's, it's more precious to me than an abundance of gold. You give me all the gold in the world, and I wouldn't trade it in for this. If you, if you want a, a further expansion of how he feels about God's words, read Psalm 119. He says in, in that chapter, in verse 14, he says, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all the riches he says in verse 111, he says, I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. God's word thrilled David. And just think about this. You know, when we, when we need a little encouragement, we often turn to the New Testament or especially the Psalms. Listen, he was the one writing the Psalms. They hadn't, they hadn't even been finished yet. He was turning to the, the law he was going back to Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Those usually, I'm not saying never, but they're usually not the places that we go to when we're down and we just need to hear something from God. But that's, where he, that's, where, that's what he had. And that, that thrilled his heart. And he said they were more valuable to him than all the gold in the world. I want to ask you something this morning. What if someone came up to you today after church and said, I will give you $1 million in cash right now if you promise never ever to read the Bible again? Would you take it? What if they upped the ante and they said, I'll give you $100 million right now 
to never, ever read this book again. I'll give you a billion dollars. I've got a van out back. (laughs) What if you were presented with that? How precious is God's word to you? Could you say, could you honestly look him in the eye and say, no way. No way. Wouldn't do it. David, David was a king. He, was, he, was, he wasn't just like a poor guy saying, oh, I don't need that money. That's no big deal. I, I want God's word. He had been there. He had it. And he said, you could take it all. You could have it all because I want God's word. And it's more precious to me than all this stuff, the, the, the palace, the money, the robes, everything, the power. I want God's word. That's how precious it was to him. He says it was sweeter even than the honeycomb. He was talking about a, a, a rare a delicacy in, in, in Jewish times. They, they, they got most of their sweet, sweetener in general was a, was a luxury. Um, I, I probably would be faring a lot better if I lived back then, uh, just because there wouldn't be as much junk food to eat. Um, but most of their sweetener was derived from dates. They, had, they would make date honey out of, out of the dates. But honey from the honeycomb was more of a luxury item. Someone might go through their whole life and never, never have honey. It's, it's not recorded that... Um, that the Israelites during that time domesticated bees and raised bees. So to find honey in the, in the woods like Jonathan did was, was a, a rare treat. And he said, even the most exquisite delicacies, you fill in the blank for you, big bowl of ice cream, gigantic porterhouse, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. He said, God's word is more precious than the most greatest of delicacies. And I just want to in, insert a quick parenthesis, because if, if you're like me, maybe you're sitting there, thinking, that's not me. I, I would have taken 50 bucks. It's, it's, it's not me. I'm, I'm not hungering and thirsting for God's word. This, this year, David's speaking a foreign language to me. I just want to add a, a quick parenthesis. If you're out there, if you're thinking that and you're feeling, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. I don't, I don't have that same love. There's no word. I, I get way more excited about Duck Dynasty or, or going shopping or, or March Madness or, or earning money. I get way more excited about that than scriptures. I mean, Come on, we live in the 21st century. I just want to ask you a couple of, of diagnostic questions. If, if, you were, if we, were, we were sitting down having this conversation in the office, and I didn't know you very well, my first question, let me emphasize if I don't know you very well, my first question would be, if, have you ever trusted in Christ as your Savior? Um, because Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says that the unbeliever doesn't welcome what comes from God's Spirit. It's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it. Since, he's, uh, since it's evaluated spiritually. The Bible says that if, if you're not a Christian, it's just going to be like gobbledygook. It's, it's not going in. That would be the first question I ask you. And, and, and the second question I'd ask you, are, are you harboring sin in your life? Is there, is there sin you're holding on to that's, that's keeping you from being receptive to God? And, and then once we got those two questions dealt with, if you're still saying, oh, yeah, no, 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 I, I come to God every day and I'm, I'm confessing sin. I just, I'm still not hungry. Here's just a couple other other questions I would ask you to encourage you a little bit. First of all, do you, do you ask God to create that desire? Do you ask God to stir your heart, to make you long for it? Because I'll be honest with you, there are some mornings that I get up, and I, my, my mind, rather than going to Scripture, I'm thinking, I wonder how the Tigers did last night. I, and, and, and my temptation is to sit down and, and, and log into ESPN.com, and before I know it, I've spent a half an hour there, and the kids are starting to wake up, and it's time to start making life happen, and, and I've, I've neglected God's Word. My, my heart's been there. And so the first thing I'd encourage you to do is just pray and say, God, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up, and I know that my heart's going to be drawn to whatever, fill in the blank. 
God, give me that desire and that longing to turn to your word first. Help me to go to the scriptures first and make that a priority. The next question I'd ask you was, um, do, do you spend time meditating when you read? Do you spend time meditating when you read? Do, do, you, do, you, do you take time to let it simmer a little bit? To let it sit there and, and, and soak in? Give yourself time to that. Rather than, rather than read through you know, five chapters as fast as you can, read through five verses and just let them turn over in your mind. Uh, get on your knees and pray through those verses. The, the Psalms are great things to pray. So you can be reading God's Word and praying at the same time. Um, David prayed in Psalm 119.18. He says, Open my eyes so that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. Even David, the one who wrote this, still needed to ask God to open up his eyes so he could see those wondrous things. He knew they were there. He said, God, give me the eyes to see. And then, and then the other thing I would ask you is, is are you disciplined? Uh, are you just waking up in the morning and say, it's going to happen naturally. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit guide me, and whenever the, the, the Bible falls open before me, then I'm going to read. I obviously don't want to discount the moving of the Spirit. God may wake you up in the middle of the night and tell you to get out of bed and get on your knees. God's Spirit does that sometimes. I believe that. But if you don't have a plan, and, and next week we're actually going to talk about this. We're going to re- jump back into our series of Life's Healing Choices, and, and next week's uh, topic is talking about uh, having a plan to be in God's Word. And so we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth next week. But uh, are you just expecting it to happen, or do you have a, do you have a plan? Are you being disciplined about uh, setting aside a time? Do you have a, a, a focused plan of, I'm, I'm going through this devotional, I'm going to journal my way through this, this book of the Bible, or whatever it is, uh, have a plan. So that was a little quick parenthesis, because I realized that we don't all feel like this. We can't all say with David all the time, your word is more precious to me than all the riches of the world. Uh, number four is the protection of God's word. The protection of God's word. He says in verse 11, he says, in addition, your servant is warned by them. In addition, your servant is warned by them. Speaking of God's words. One of the functions of the Bible is to put up a stop sign in our life and say, whoa, you need to, you need to put on the brakes here. You need to watch out because there's danger ahead. I think last time I spoke, I told you that bridge out story. that My wife wanted to jump the bridge that was out. But listen, God puts things in our life. He puts people in our life sometimes to say, listen, hold your horses here. Not so fast. And God's word does that. God's word can help us see when danger is coming. Uh, temptation comes from within and without. And need, we need God's word daily to put a spotlight on our sin so that we become acutely aware of its serious and deadly nature. We may be warned clearly by a command or maybe by a story, a parable of Jesus's perhaps, that reveals the dire consequences of ignoring Christ. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. If you're, if you're struggling with sexual temptation, go read Proverbs, the beginning chapters of Proverbs, about the warnings to the young man who's considering and, and, and is led away by, by an adulterous woman. If you want to see the consequences of sexual immorality played out, if you want to see it from beginning to end, read those passages. Sometimes we need God's word 
to warn us, to hold up those red flags and say, careful. And then lastly is the promise of God's word. The promise of God's word. At the end of verse 11, he says, there is great reward in keeping them. There is great reward in keeping God's words. Great reward. Now, he doesn't spell that out. He doesn't say what that is exactly. But what would, it, what would it do if we wrapped our mind around the fact that God's ways are the very best ways to live? I mean, that, that's where Adam and Eve derailed in the garden, right? They were convinced that there was another way, that God's words were not leading them down the best possible way of living. And the serpent said, has God really said? And he convinced them that he was hiding something from them. That he was obscuring some great treasure, some great truth. But if we believed that this, this book, in the commands and the exhortations and the warnings in this book, were the best possible way to live, it would revolutionize our Christian life. If we completely depended on God, if we, if we believed every day that prayerful dependence on Him is far better than worrying, that would change our lives. If we believed with all of our hearts that being completely honest and truthful is always better than deception and sneakiness, it would change our lives. If we believed that waiting for marriage was far better than taking a potential mate for a, a test run to try things out. If we truly believe that, it would, it would change our marriages. It would change how, how couples interacted before they were married. God's ways, God's word is 100% the best way to live. So, sometimes when I'm, I'm, I'm giving my kids a, a command or some kind of a, a, a household law to follow, and they don't understand it, and they say, man, I... I I think when, I, when I'm a grown-up, I'm going to do things differently. I, I'll, say, I'll sit down and I'll say, listen, I, I realize that. But I said, I have a responsibility as your parent to do the best job that I, I think that I can in, in accordance with God's word. And I said, I realize there are some things that you don't understand right now. But you have to trust me that I have your best interest, interest in mind. I'm not just saying no to your request because I just want to be the no guy. But I love you and I care about you and, and you have to trust me right now. And there are some times when God asks us to do something or he, or he tells us not to do something, we think, man, I'd be so much happier if I could just do that. I'd be so much happier if I, if I didn't have to get out of my comfort zone and, and share the gospel with this person right now. I'd be so much happier. In those times, we have to trust that God has our best interest in mind and God's ways, God's word is the best way to live. He says, in keeping them, in keeping God's word, there is Great reward. And, and there may be, an in, I think you can prove it from Scripture, that there are future rewards involved in this kind of thing. And as we walk with God, as we trust Him and say, Okay, God, I don't understand this right now, but I'm going to be obedient to You. I'm going to do what Your Word says. He says there's great reward in keeping that. I think that reward can be joy in this life, but rewards in the next as well. In keeping them, there is great reward. I want to say that it is a great joy and privilege to be your pastor here at this church. And it is my hope and prayer that we continue to be a church that is built upon God's word, this book. That we have a reputation for believing 
and practicing its truth. And that we are a people who with great conviction boldly share it with those who we come in contact with on a daily basis. Let me pray with you. Father, I pray this morning that you would teach us to love your word. We must have our hearts tuned in to what is truly precious. And the scripture says in this passage we read this morning that your word is more desirable than gold, than much fine gold, and sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. God, I pray that you would refocus our hearts so that we might taste what is really sweet and treasure what is really valuable. And that with that that tasting and treasuring, you'd incline our hearts and discipline us to take upon to take up the Bible and to read it, to meditate on it, to memorize it. Incline us to drink deeply of, of the living water and to eat of the bread of life so that you may strengthen our inner man like you say in Ephesians. That you may take us deeper in our relationship with you, deeper than we've ever known before, God. Please work in our hearts. Draw us, to our, draw us to your word when other things in life pull us in the other direction. Open our understanding and may we, may we embrace and, and understand your truth. And may we, may we gladly, gladly take the, the beauty and preciousness of your word to those around us who have little contact with the scriptures and the Savior that we love so much. Make us a blessing to this world, I pray, God, because of our encounter with your word. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Can we stand together, please? This will be our closing.
Jeremiah said so greatly, Lord, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We love you so much, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, you guys.